you though. You just said to really get our 40 acres and a mule. Right. How are we getting our 40 acres and a mule? How does that process happen? I mean, through the system. Oh. Right, but it shouldn't be a boat. I mean, I mean, of oh. course, but because it, it's already old, so why got a boat on some shit you already supposed because, to give to me? In, you in, are clearly, you are <laughs> clearly. Hold on, hold on, cause, and this is where um, history professor matters. Um, <laughs> when you, when you, studies, but we'll get to that. <laughs> but, but I'm saying history matters, history though. History is incredibly important. That one, for example, Rufus Sexton, the field order that started 40 eggs in a mule. Field order number 15. This is exactly right. When Special in, field order. Which Lincoln rescinded, right? Which is why you vote in federal elections, right? I mean, they're federal, state, and local elections, and I know that's part of this conversation. That order was rescinded from the top. From, from President Andrew Johnson, who became president when Abraham Lincoln was killed. And so the reason why I'm bringing that up, because so, so and, and I love this because, Nick, no shade, but sometimes our folks, including you right now, can be, be so deep that we're drowning. Okay. So the situation is there are certain things that we would still need to be able to do our own system that come from the process, process that currently exists. So here we go, finding ourselves in this cyclical pattern, right? We don't vote because we don't see ourselves reflected. We don't see ourselves reflected because we don't vote. We want to overthrow the system, but in, over, in order to overthrow the oppressive system that exists, we have to change the system. The only way to change the system is to go inside the system. The only way to go inside the system is to vote our folks inside the system, but we won't vote because we don't see ourselves But that's there. the facade. It's it's not not a, but let's, like you said, <laughs> that's hi real. history, historical memory is... I think Angela Rye has a point. When I heard this earlier today, and this is from Angela Rye sitting down talking with Nick Cannon on Cannon's class, and they're talking about the black vote. And so I finally got a chance to sit down and listen to the conversation and see what piece of wisdom would come from it. And I've been giving Angela Rye a hard time lately. Um, you know, with the selections in, in uh, Florida and Georgia, I thought um, both governor races there were ran okay. I just didn't like the way uh, that they finished. And it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. So I've been tough on Angela Rye because I know she was um, part of the strategic team uh, with at least one of those campaigns, if not both. Um, but she makes a really good point here. Like, you could be so deep that you're drowning. Oh, we don't need the government. We don't We don't need anything. So then how are you going to implement your changes? How are you going to enforce them on the, the law books? And so Nikana said, well, that shouldn't require a vote. It should just be. And that is true, because we could, I mean... <laughs> Trump could, if he really wanted to, he could use a, a national emergency on reparations and take out money from somewhere and give it <laughs> to black folk. I mean, somebody could do that if they wanted to gain political favor. He, this, this national emergency proves that you can... Um, it proves that you can 
shut down parts of the government by taking away the funding and put it towards whatever you deem as a national emergency. And so then you have to ask yourself, well, what is a national emergency? And that's why we had an episode on group economics during national emergency. That's a national emergency. Emergency is we got to have our group economics. That's why I dropped the episode for you guys. Like the national emergency is not him shutting down the dam, the you know, getting the money for the wall. That's not the national emergency. The national emergency is that we got to get our group economics right. And we got to we got to gain once we gain back our economic power, those who have already started gaining back their economic power, we need to start investing into the politics. And those who are already doing that, contact me. Let's talk. Let's talk. Uh, so the, the, the national emergency is a state of emergency resulting from a danger or threat of danger to a nation from foreign or domestic sources and usually declared to be in existence by a governmental authority Okay, so based off the definition, yeah, <laughs> you could you could you could come in and say, well, the national emergency is that you know the reparations are never given to this country or to this group of people, and we're going to take out one point four trillion dollars and we're going to give reparations. Now, I'm not one of those people that that wants the government to give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I'm not one of those people. But for those people who are saying, well, give me, give me, give me, give me. Well, I would benefit from it. And so if you're going to do it, do it the right way. And what Angela Rye is saying here is, hey, dude, like you're going to have to use the system. And how do you use the system? By putting people in office, which is where we currently are where we currently are and so don't be so deep that you're sinking and Jirai hits it hits it right on the nail there so that makes you take a step back and be like okay well what about this other lady um, Marion Williamson she's talking about giving reparations so if if you need somebody on the inside, is this the inside person? Or how do you determine who your inside people are going to be? Now you are a candidate who believes that African-Americans should receive reparations for slavery, specifically $100 billion paid out in a 10-year annual installment of $10 billion. <clears throat> is this symbolic or do you think this money goes to some practical purpose. This is not symbolic at all. At the end of the Civil War, General Tecumseh Sherman promised to every formerly enslaved person 40 acres and a mule. And those 40 acres and a mule would have given a formerly enslaved population an opportunity to reintegrate, to integrate into free society. What happened instead, of course, was black code laws were passed in the American South, which ensured subpar uh, social and political and economic opportunities for the former 
uh, slave population. This was not addressed for a hundred years until the civil rights movement. And while the civil rights movement gave Voting Rights Act, although that has been chipped away uh, since 2013, and gave a lot of political uh, opportunities that had not been there for the hundred years previous, it did not address the fact that we have not yet paid that debt. Germany has paid $89 billion in reparations to Jewish organizations since World War II, and Ronald Reagan signed the American Civil Liberties Act, by which we paid every surviving member who had been interned during the, during the World War II in the Japanese internment camps $22,000. Right. I believe $100 billion okay. given to a council that would apply these, this mm -hmm. money to economic projects and educational projects of renewal for that population is simply a to be paid you, and until uh, we pay it we will deal with these issues you, you are not a novice to politics when I actually start researching more about reparations and uh, what would be a fair amount I'm not quite sure Marion Williamson is, is, is hitting the mark I feel like she's lowballing uh, those of African descent who live in America. I don't think she's bringing an honest number uh, to my people. And so I don't, I, that's why if you notice, you know, she's the spiritual friend, um, guru of Oprah. Um, when asked about it, she said, no, I'm nobody's guru. I'm nobody's um, spiritual leader. Uh, but that is how she's been coined by the media. And she doesn't really have a lot of traction quite yet uh, when it comes to uh, her videos and her message. And I, I wonder why. And I think that might be why I'm even doing this episode. Uh, is I wonder why she's not getting any traction if the main thing that we've always been asking for is reparations. And then now you have this person who is tied to Oprah and usually being tied to Oprah gets you at least some type of uh, early boost. And this one isn't appearing not to give her any type of boost. So it's just kind of weird to me that she's got no boost and she's talking about reparations and yet nobody's talking about her. Um, and yeah, so people are saying, well, that is, it's not high enough, uh, and we should be getting land too. And so I'm just sitting here studying it all, trying to make sense of it to see, you know, where do I fall on this? You know, do I think, uh, reparations needs to be, um, including land? I've, I've heard other arguments that, you know, maybe we don't even need, uh, to worry about reparations yet, maybe we should be uh, looking at some other solutions. And so I'm just looking at this, the, the full scale here and I'm trying to understand, you know, I would have thought when I was coming up, I would have thought if somebody said reparations, the entire culture would have shifted and said, we got to vote for this person. But, you know, she was out two, three weeks before Bernie and she didn't get any traction Bernie Sanders says, let's do it. And he raises $4 million. And I don't even know what his platform is yet. You know, I have to look into, like, you know, what is his black agenda? 
You know, I, I really would like to know what is this black agenda and where is this money coming from? Who's giving them this money? Who's hired them? Because all politicians are hired. So who's who has hired this person? And how does that relate to our 40 acres and the mule? That's what I would want to know. That's where my head is at currently. out of slavery, blacks, blacks were relatively successful because they understood the importance of one thing, and that, and that was to learn how to own and control, get resources, because that was the whole purpose of slavery. Slavery was basically to maldistribute almost 100% of all this nation's wealth, resource, privileges, and controls all levels of government into the hands of the dominant white society. And it was very effective. It did an excellent job. And slavery, slavery came into existence in the 1500s. It had a very specific purpose. Slavery was an economic issue, not a social issue. And so black folk learned that even as slaves, they might not have been well-educated, but they weren't stupid. They figured out that he who owns and controls has the power. And so when slavery ended in the 1860s, about 1866, at that point in time, you had, they learned something else from the radical Republicans who came out and said that, you, that black people in America can only be two, two, one or two things. Either you're going to be slaves or you're going to be free. To be free, you must minimally, these blacks must minimally, five million, almost five million blacks must minimally have 40 acres, a mule, and a hundred dollars given to them coming out of slavery if they're going to play this game. Because at that time in slavery, black folk were the primary generators of wealth on the earth. This country had invested over $8 billion just into slavery. That was more money than all the businesses and all levels of government put together. And, they, and, and black folk as slaves, they knew the importance of wealth and owning and controlling. And they wanted that 40 acres and a mule and $100. And, uh, and Congressman Thaddeus Stevens, Charles Sumners, and Benjamin said that on the floor of the United States Congress in the 1865 Civil Rights Law. Give black folk 40 acres of mule and $100. And Andrew Johnson came and he became the president after Lincoln's assassination. He killed the bill. They came back again in 1866 again and said, black folk have to have resources to be able to compete. And then later on, they converted that to the 14th Amendment in 1868. But in the meantime, black folk left slavery, not only controlling anything. Black folk left slavery after four or five hundred years, penniless, poor, disorganized, no religion, no clothes, no food, no animals, no home, no land, no tools, no weapons, nothing. And white folks told them to go out there and compete. And unfortunately, I was, our, our leadership didn't understand that. You cannot compete not owning anything. But a few blacks got the word. They said, what we got to do is try to get some of that land at 40 acres and a mule. God is now looking at the 40 acres and the mule and saying this is worth way more now than it ever was before. So the 40 acres and the mule I'm breaking down to you the significance of why now candidates are, are trying to put this on their ballots. Because it's going to have to happen from within the system. And as we look at what's going on within the system, people are jockeying for position. And they're willing to make promises that we don't even know they're willing to keep. You know, who's the most trustworthy? Who has the character to follow through with what their promises are? 
I think that's a valuable thing to know, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very valuable. So this black equity study, looking at the 40 acres in the mule and the, the importance of it, it's really less about 40 acres in a mule and more about proper equity. This is the ultimate equity, black equity conversation. Give me my proper equity. My proper stake in the country. If you're going to be inside the system, give me my stake. I want my equity a part of the government. How much is the government government worth? We want we each want a percentage. What is that percentage number? Because we should own a piece of this thing. And I I don't think it should have a limit. I think we should just be equity owners and receive a check for the rest of our lives. Along with programs. We gotta get it right. America's gonna have to do right. You can't hide us in the corner anymore and pretend like we're not gonna call for what it is. I make a distinction between wisdom and knowledge. And wisdom is more important than knowledge. And this is what Einstein said. Einstein was called a lazy dog, you know, by, the, by his professor. Because he was not a very bright boy. But he had only some physics and math. And he himself admitted. What did he say? He said, all that I have discovered, where did it come from? It came to me, not through rational process. Then how? Through intuition. And what is that intuition? That is what I call wisdom. That is what I call the midbrain. There is no teaching or no curriculum available here, either even in India, although it's the land of the yogis. But nobody teaches it. They follow the Western model of learning trigonometry and algebra and uh, anthropology and you know, social sciences. And what are they going to do? Why are we, why are we wasting our time on all these things? You know, even while I'm talking to you, what is running behind my back is why am I blah blahing? So you just very precisely said, like the yogis would say, darkness, ignorance that makes you to do hard labor and make less money is due to ignorance, and that ignorance is in the frontal lobe and is in the eyeballs. Finished. Then where is the uh, intelligence? Where is the wisdom? That's in the in the frontal lobe. Finished. So to even more, uh, you know, refine what I have said, the eyeballs, frontal lobe, equal ignorance. The midbrain equals wisdom, finished. This is all the, you know, my ultimate teaching is about.